All right, well, it is great to see you guys this morning. Welcome back to Community Church. So glad to see you. So glad that you could be with us to worship this morning. Um, Great time of worship, great week, uh, great men's breakfast yesterday. Looking forward to the women's breakfast this week. Uh, Just super excited about what the Lord's doing in and through Community Church. And so uh, this week, we're going to be continuing on with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to try and finish up Luke chapter 12 this morning as we look into verses 49 through 59. And um, I don't know about you, but... Uh, yeah. Time for a little bit of announcement. <laughs> okay. There's this available here that's free, and there's some single chairs, stackable chairs that are free. And through Mark, the maintenance got any old fishing poles around he asked that you bring them because they show up all right so continuing on with chapter 12 in uh, the gospel of luke verses 49 through 59 uh, that chapter i don't know it, it it's been really encouraging to me if you've been following along in the study i've really enjoyed chapter 12 because what it does is it reminds us of Really, the, the brevity of life, it reminds us of the soon return of Christ. And so what it does is it challenges me to make decisions based on those two facts, right? Things like, how am I going to live my life? How am I going to serve my church? Or how am I going to lead my family in light of my fast approaching eternity, right? Eternity is coming, so I need to make decisions based upon that. I think that's just a very biblical perspective to have. So how am I going to live my life today in light of eternity? Uh, I used to work with a gentleman who preached for the Salvation Army. You've probably heard me bring this guy up before. He was uh, quite a guy. I'm sure he's still preaching, but he preached all around the world. Uh, But in his office there at work, he had a whiteboard, and on it he had written today, and then he drew a line down the middle of it, and then on the other side of that line he put that day. And I kind of had an idea of what he was getting at, knowing that he's a believer and everything, but I had to ask him one day. I said, what does that mean? Why do you have today and that day written on that whiteboard? And he said, well, because those are the only two days that matter. Today and that day. He said, so I need to live today in view of that day. right?" And he's talking about the day when we stand before Christ, obviously. So that's a great perspective to have, and I think we're going to catch some of that perspective in our lesson today. But let's go ahead and pray again quickly. We'll get into our text. There's another challenging message ahead today from Christ on things like division and discernment, settling our debts with adversaries and so on in light of that coming day. So Lord, we thank you again for this time together. Thank you for this time in your word. We are grateful, Lord, for each and every moment that you give us together when we can get surrounded by your word. We pray for your spirit to guide us through this teaching this morning. Help us, Lord, to understand it. Help us to be able to apply it to our life. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. So, all right, starting in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus speaking says, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. 
For from now on, five and one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Verse 54. Then he also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather. And there it is. Hypocrites, you discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? Verse 57. Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. And then verse 59, I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mite. All right, so a very important teaching this morning. And portions of this teaching here from Christ can also be found in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39, and again in Matthew chapter 16, in the first four verses there. But in context, Christ has already taught us that he's returning. Okay, we know he's coming back, and he's already told us how he's going to return. Verses 39 and 40, it'll be like an unexpected thief, right? And he's given us the consequences to those who are ready when he returns. We see that in verse 44. He says that they will actually rule with him. What an amazing thought that is. But then he also gives us consequences for those who are not ready for him when he comes. That's verse 46. He says they will be appointed with the unbelievers. And so now Christ is going to give us some insight, um, really twofold, I think, as to why he came the first time. You could also say it like this. He's going to give us the expected result of those who follow Christ in this life. Okay. And so he's going to kind of give us a twofold response here about division and discernment. Uh, Following Christ uh, brings division. Okay. There's just no way around that. Again, you can see this in Matthew chapter 10 as well. But let's go through this one verse at a time, starting in verse 49. Jesus says, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. Now, there are some differing views about what Christ is saying here in regard to fire. And I want to explain some of that and then I'll tell you where I come down. Um, One view is that Christ is referring to the Holy Spirit that will be given at Pentecost. Okay, and so that's that's one view. It's that's Christ saying, I wish that was already here. I wish everything else was behind me and that the Spirit had come. Uh, So that's one view. The second view is that he's referring to the spreading of the gospel when he speaks of fire. Like, remember, we talked about how we need to have our waist girded and our lamps burning, right? And so maybe he's referring to this fire being the spread of the gospel. All of these Christians are on fire for the Lord. That's another view that's out there. Then there's a third view, and this is the one that I hold to personally. I think that Christ is referencing judgment. Um, And I'll tell you why I think that. He says that he will, he came to send fire, rather. To send fire is to let go. That word send means to let go of something. Okay? It means to throw or to cast into. Okay? 
And so whenever he said he was going to send his Holy Spirit, for example, in Luke 24, 19, it's a little bit different word, okay? It means to go to an appointed place. He sent his Spirit to those who were waiting for him. This is more of a throwing or a casting into, in reference of judgment, in my opinion. And fire can be taken literally or, or figuratively. It can mean and does mean in Scripture judgment. And so uh, those are the three prevailing views and... Uh, you know, I just hold to the one that says Christ is speaking of judgment. I think that makes more sense, and we'll see that as we move through the text. He said, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Okay, so the fire comes to the earth as a whole. That word kindled means to light up. Okay, so he's saying this judgment is coming to the whole earth, but what judgment is coming? What judgment is he speaking about? We need some insight to this so that we don't get confused. So if you do have your Bibles, let's flip over to John chapter 12. Really quick. John chapter 12, and I think this will help us in our context a little bit. John chapter 12, I'm going to be reading verses 44 through 48. But I want to give you just a little context about what Christ is saying here in John 12. If you look back at verse 27... You see that Christ is predicting his death on the cross. Okay? In verse 27, he's saying, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Right? So he's not asking to be excused, but to fulfill the purpose of the Father, which is the cross. Okay? So that's the context. Move down to John 12, 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me, meaning the Father. Verse 46, I have come as a light into the world, and whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, listen to this, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Interesting. Verse 48. He who rejects me does not re receive my words. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him, which is the word that I've spoken, which will judge him on the last day. Okay. So. What kind of judgment is Christ talking about in verse 41? I came to send fire on the earth. If fire means judgment, and Jesus just said, I did not come to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through me. What in the world kind of judgment is he talking about? The cross. He's talking about the cross. Judgment has come to the earth because Christ will be judged for you and me. He will be judged on our behalf. Look, Christ was the one kindled in the fire of the wrath of the Father. That's what we're talking about here. Christ has or will soon absorb the full wrath of the Father toward your sin and mine. Okay, so I believe that Christ is saying, Oh, how I wish the judgment for your sin was over. Not because he's scared. Again, he already told us, for this purpose I have come into the world. He's not trying to avoid it, right? But he's saying, I wish the judgment for your sin was already here. Verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with, 
and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. He's not stressed out. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But he, he refers to two kinds of baptism here. One is in reference to the cross. They both point that way. Okay, but let me explain. The first word for baptism here is it talks about calamities. It talks about affliction, being overwhelmed with affliction. That's the first word for baptism. The second one is the one that we're more familiar with, baptizo, which means to dip or to immerse fully, like we do when we baptize someone in water, right? So think about that. I have a baptism to be baptized with. I have to be fully overwhelmed, immersed in judgment, right? He says, I'm distressed until it's accomplished. He's not stressed out. The word means to hold together. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, in him, meaning Christ, all things hold together. Okay, so this is the idea of restraint, or you could say that this word also means to be compressed. And so think of it like this. Our sins were compressed upon Christ. He was overwhelmed. He was immersed in judgment for our sin. I like how Pastor David Guzik said it. He said, Christ was not sprinkled with suffering. He was immersed in agony. Man, amen. What a word picture. Again, another good reason uh, that we follow here at Community Church, baptizo. When we baptize people, we immerse them in water rather than sprinkling. This is another good reason why we do that. Christ was immersed in our sins fully. Christ is saying, look, this is why I came. I came to absorb the full wrath of the Father toward your sin, to be judged in your place so that you could be forgiven and that you could be separated from the world. Why? For service in my kingdom until I return. Remember the context of the entire teaching we've been talking about here the last couple of weeks. Verse 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. Okay, now it's important that we understand the word peace here. Of course, he brings peace to your soul when you repent and trust in him by faith. Okay, that's a spiritual type of peace. Okay, internal peace. The peace he's referring to here is one of national tranquility. So he's saying, if you think I came to like conquer the Romans for y'all and bring peace, that's not why I'm here. Okay, this kind of peace would be like to bring peace between individuals. Remember, he talked about the brother who wanted more inheritance. And, and, and he, in fact, said, who made me the judge or arbitrator over that? That's not why I came. I didn't come to, to give you national peace. I didn't come to give you peace in that way. There's ways I have for you to handle personal disputes. Okay, but I came to bring division. The word here means a parting or disunion. So. Listen to how he said it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. He said, do not think that I came to bring, to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Hmm. We all know what a sword is, right? A sword is a big, long knife. It's got two sharp edges on it. We use it out in the field to separate flesh from the meat when we harvest animals or the meat from the bone. That's what we use those swords for. That's the kind of division that Christ is talking about because the word of God, remember he told us that we would be judged by his word, right? And so listen to this. The word of God is like a two-edged sword. It's in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 that we see this. For the word of God is living 
and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Man, now it's starting to become clear, right? The word of God can be very divisive, right? For someone who doesn't have the peace of Christ in their soul, okay? So Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. He said, come out from among them and be separate. The word of God divides things. It divides our soul. It can divide our thoughts. It understands, like it reveals who we really are. Okay. The word of God exposes us for who we really are. There's no fake in it. Okay. And so Christ says, I didn't come to bring peace, but division. And so here is the division. Verse 52. From now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Okay, so Christ is actually quoting from the prophet Micah here. Listen to what Micah says in Micah chapter 7, verse 6. For son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Wow. Think about that. Division in the home. You don't have to raise your hand, but has anybody ever experienced that? We're probably familiar with that on some level, right? So all of us have family issues from time to time. Well, what's the solution? What's the solution here? Well, if you keep reading in Micah, the very next verse, Micah says this in Micah 7, 7. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Amen. So guys, the solution to a house that is divided about Christ is for those who are without Christ to be saved. That's what brings together what is divided. Okay, Christ is talking about a spiritual division. People will be divided about him, even in homes. Some people will say yes to Jesus. Other people in the family will say no. And that brings about a division. The solution to that division is salvation in Christ. It will not only bring your heart in a right relationship with the Lord, restore that fellowship, it will restore the fellowship of your entire family when everybody gets right with Christ. Verse 53, father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law like everybody, okay? Now, some of you guys probably know my wife. She goes to church here. And uh, you probably know my mom. She goes to church here. So we have a mother, a mother-in-law, and uh, how does that work? Daughter. <laughs> Daughter and mother-in-law. I'm confused, man. There's a lot of law in-laws here. Okay, so you have that going on. We have this dynamic here, and you probably look at their relationship, and you're like, well, it seems like they get along pretty good. I mean, goodness, they just spent a, a weekend with the girls down in Branson. Everything seems great. And I guess I would tell you, you've never seen them in a food fight. <laughs> if you've ever seen them in a food fight, it gets messy. Okay. The point is this, guys, Christ is not a home wrecker. He did not come to wreck homes. Okay. Families are divided 
when their individual hearts are divided about Christ. That's what creates the division. Listen to how Jesus explains this in Matthew 10, starting in verse 37. He says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38 of Matthew 10, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You see what's going on here. This is where the division happens. Somebody in the family says, I'm going with Jesus. And somebody else says, eh, maybe not right now. I still love a few things around here more than I love Christ. Well, Jesus says, he who doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What is the cross? It's an instrument of death. That's where people go to die. He who's not willing to die to their self, to their wants, to their wishes, and surrender their life to me is not worthy of me. That's the point he's making here. See, the division happens when someone says, I'm following Jesus, and the other people in the family say, have a good time, right? And don't follow Christ, right? That brings division. But, but Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Guys, it's not about us. It's not about us. When we come to Christ, that word Lord means boss. He is our boss. We do what he says. We go where he tells us to go. I've heard preachers, too many of them, in fact, say, maybe during an invitation time, would you like to come down and take Jesus as your Savior? Man, that drives me crazy. We're not taking Jesus anywhere, y'all. We follow him. We follow him. Wherever he says, that's where we go. Wherever he goes, we're going with him, right? He's the boss. I've lost my life. It's on that cross, right? Now I belong to Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, the word says. And so here's the deal. The way of the cross brings a necessary division between the ways of the world and the ways of God. It's necessary that that division takes place. And it was true in the life of Christ, too. We see it as far back as Psalm 41, verse 9. It says, Even my own familiar friend and whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Now, who could that be? He's talking about Judas. Listen to John three, uh, 13, verses 18 through 19. I do not speak concerning all of you, the disciples. I know whom I've chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you this before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you might believe that I am he. Boom. Scripture fulfilled. Prophecy fulfilled. It happened. Christ was betrayed. Christ knew who would betray him. Right? He knows that the way of the cross will bring division. So let me give you this warning. Um, please don't ever believe anybody who tells you that if you become a Christian, then all your troubles will just magically disappear. Okay? Do not believe that. Okay? Because the truth is, some of your troubles might just be getting started. Next, Christ turns his attention from the disciples who needed to be aware about this division that was going to necessarily take place between them and the world. Okay? As followers of Christ, you can expect that too. I can expect that too. There's going to be division. You know, I've lost friends over coming to faith in, the, in Christ. You probably have too. I don't know, but that just happens, 
right? When someone follows Christ with their whole heart and the others do not, that creates division. So he's going to talk to the multitude now and he's going to warn them about their need for discernment, okay? He's going to tell them about who he is, but he also is going to tell them that you need to be discerning of the day and time that you're living in. Okay, and you can also cross-reference this in Matthew 16. But listen to verse 54. Then he also said to the multitudes, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, A shower is coming. So it is. So Christ is saying, Look, guys, let me put it to you like this, okay, in regard to who I am. It was easy for them to see the clouds gathering up out over the Mediterranean Sea, and one of them say, It's probably going to rain. Right? That was an easy enough thing for them to do. Verse 55, and when you see the south wind blow, you say, there's going to be hot weather, and there is. Absolutely. I mean, anybody can tell when the wind picks up, blowing in from that South Arabian desert, that it's going to be hot. Right? Listen to Matthew chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. Jesus answered them and said, when it's evening, you say, it'll be fair weather, for the sky is red. Right? We have a saying about that. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. That's exactly right. And in the morning, it's going to be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. Right? Exactly. So Jesus is saying, great job, guys. Fantastic. You have figured out how I, how I orchestrate weather in my world. Like you're masters of the obvious. A cloud is building up and it's going to rain. I feel hot wind, it's going to get hot, right? Great job at doing that. You can discern those things. Today, we can fly at supersonic sound. We can dive down to the deepest depths of the sea. In fact, we've even got people taking joy rides into space now. We can do all of these things, right? But we still don't know what time it is, do we? Look, technology has increased. Here's the deal. Technology has increased exponentially, but our intellect has stayed the same. Okay? We're physically aware, but we are spiritually numb. That's the problem. We're spiritually numb. Listen to what Jesus says. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? To discern something means to examine it. It means to scrutinize it, right? <coughs> and so Christ told the Pharisees and the Sadducees over in Matthew 16 that a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. No sign's going to be given except for the prophet Jonah. And then he left them and departed. And so he said, one more sign's coming. I'm going to raise from the dead. And that'll be another sign for you. But the truth of the matter is, is that the prophecies were all around. The prophecies were all around them, all throughout their scriptures, all throughout the Old Testament. How in the world could they have missed it? And now Christ is standing in their midst, talking to them, right? Just like Daniel said, just like Micah told them, just like Isaiah said. But here's the deal. They were more concerned with the climate than they were the Christ. Does that sound familiar at all? Some things don't change. How much easier is it for us to examine or scrutinize the world around us than it is to examine the spirit within us? And that's the problem. The discernment was external, 
right? There was not any internal discernment going on. They were spiritually numb. Because again, they had the signs, they had the prophets, they had the word of God. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one, the one to be ruler in Israel. See, many Jewish people thought there might be two messiahs. There was going to be one to bring peace and one to bring judgment. And Micah says, no, there's going to be one and he's going to be born in Bethlehem. You would think they would have heard about this child who would have been born in Bethlehem, right? Micah says his goings are from of old, from everlasting. And then you have the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14, who said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus could have looked at these guys and said, Guys, do you remember about 33 years ago when Herod was killing all the babies? He was coming after me. Right? I'm that one that was born of the virgin. So if you follow the timeline, if you see the prophecies, go to the book of Daniel and read Daniel chapter 9. And people who are much smarter than me have come up with the math on this, okay? But it's true. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey's colt, Matthew 21, at the exact time in history that Daniel said he would. It's amazing. The Jewish people, they had the scriptures. They had the prophets. And now they had the Savior of the world standing in their midst, talking to them, but they didn't have the discernment they needed. They didn't have the will to believe. Listen to what Jesus said. We'll get to this when we get into Luke 13. You can find this scripture in Luke 13, 34 or Matthew 23, 37. But listen to this plea. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets. Oh. They didn't understand the prophets. They didn't believe the prophets. They killed them. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But hear this. You were not willing. Mm. They lacked spiritual discernment. Now. Some say Christ was crucified in ignorance. Peter talks about that, and that might be true, but it was definitely a willful ignorance. Let me explain. Peter said in Acts 3.17, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it, meaning crucify Christ. You did it in ignorance, as also did your rulers. But as we learned last week from verse 48, you can go back and look at it. Ignorance is not an excuse. Ignorance is not an excuse to not believe in Christ, because here's the teaching. Here's what Christ is teaching us and them. If we can discern the weather, then we should be able to discern the times. Okay? But in our own willful arrogance, the arrogance of our own rebel hearts, we tend to ignore the signs that are all around us. Don't we? The prophets are sent, but they're killed. Christ comes. I'm here, but he's killed. Right? And now he's saying to you and me, you better discern the time you're living in because I'm coming, right? Death could be at any of our doorsteps, absolutely, right? As we've learned, at any moment, he could require our soul of us. At any moment, he could return in all of his glory. Guys, let me tell you this. There's never been a better time. There's never been a better time for the rapture of the church. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. Like it's time, any time could be the time. 
There's never been a better time for the Jews to rebuild the temple. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. There's never been a better time for our world to unite around one false religion. Revelation 13, 3. There's never been a better time for our world to unite around one religious leader. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Listen, we must discern the times. We must discern the time as Christ is trying to teach us. And we must be willing to believe that Christ is who he says he is, right? And so here's how we make our provisions. Christ is giving us all of this information, but now it's like, okay, now what? So here's the provision based on the fact that the, the time is short. We could die or Christ could come at any time. We need to make peace with our adversary, verse 57, right? Or verse 58, excuse me. And so when you think about that, what greater adversary does any sinner have than a holy God? Mm. Verse 57 says, Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? And we need to understand the word for judge here that Christ uses. It means to separate. It literally means to choose. Okay? So why do you not choose what is right? Jesus said, based on the fact that I'm coming. The evidence is clear. Christ is who he says he is. Okay? The evidence is clear about me. I am who the word says I am. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. Right? So now, what will I choose? Jesus says, even yourselves, do you not judge what is right? So what am I going to choose, my way or God's way? Verse 58, when you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him. Lest he drag you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer and the officer throw you in prison. Something important to understand about verse 58, you should underline the words magistrate, judge, and officer. All three are in reference to God. Okay? All three of those. The magistrate means the ruler, the one who is the leader, right? That's who a magistrate is. The judge is obviously someone who passes judgment on something. He is the arbiter. This is a different word for judge than he used in verse 57. Okay, we're not talking about choosing. Now we're talking about passing judgment on somebody, right? Remember, Christ told the, the man who was concerned about the inheritance, who made me the judge or arbitrator over you? He's not concerned with physical things. He's not concerned with petty things. He's not going to judge that. He's not going to arbitrate that, right? You guys work that out. He is the arbiter of your soul. He will judge every soul, right? That's what we're talking about here. That word officer, he's the one who actually inflicts the punishment, He's the one who does the work that he was told to do from the judge. And of course, we understand prisons, right? Prison is a place where captives are held. Think about that. Think about that in light of eternity. A place where those who are held captive by their sin for all of eternity. Here's what Christ is saying. Guys, I've made every effort to settle your debt with me. Okay, you have a debt that you couldn't pay. I've made every effort to settle that. Here's, here's what's coming. I'm going to be kindled in the fires of the Father's wrath for you. But we need to look at this and say, you know what, since I'm the one at fault here, it's my debt that needs to be paid. Wouldn't I make every effort to settle up 
with Christ, right? And that's kind of the teaching here. When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him. And so Christ is saying, actually, I've come to settle that debt, right? And I've extended that payment to you. In other words, I've extended the offer for you to receive that gift of eternal life. So you should settle that debt because the time to prepare for judgment is right now. That's why he's saying, discern the times. It's going to be too late when you're standing before the judge. You need to settle now, right? I like how Wearsby said it. He said, anyone will do whatever it takes to stay out of prison. But how many people will apply that same concern and diligence to stay out of hell? Man, that's so true. And that's the whole point that Christ is making. He's like, you don't have to go there, y'all. You don't. I've settled the debt. Okay, I was the one kindled in the fiery wrath of the Father for your sin. I was the one that took that judgment for you. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to be imprisoned in your sin forever. Right? But that needs to be settled in this life. Okay? Verse 59. I tell you, you shall not depart from there until you've paid the very last might. <coughs> Excuse me. So the word paid here, it actually means to pay off. That's literally what it means. It means to pay off what is due, to pay off your debt. It's a wage, right? And of course, Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. Okay, so that's the big reward I get for being a sinner. Okay, what I earn from my sin is eternal death. That's the reward for that, right? The wages of sin is death. He says you're not going to depart from this prison until you have paid the very last mite. A mite is the, the smallest of the coins that they had. It's worth one-fifth of one cent. Okay? And so the point that Christ is making here to all of us is that I can never, ever, ever fully pay my debt. Ever. I can't do it. My sin debt has been paid in full by Christ through his cross. Right? Praise the Lord for that. Because I can never do it. It would take me an eternity paying for it, and I still wouldn't get it done. Think about that the next time you think about, should I sin or not? Right? Think about the consequence. Think about how large, how big of a deal sin really is. Sometimes we make light of it. But when you think of it in terms of how long it would take you to pay for it, hmm. now think about the amount of wrath Christ must have taken from the Father that day on the cross to pay for that eternity's worth of sin. Imagine that. I can't. I can't fully get my mind around all that Christ done for me, all that he paid for me, right? But the, the reality is this. Those who choose to remain in their sin will be held captive in prison for an eternity trying to pay off a debt that only Jesus could pay. Wow. It all comes down to this, guys. It's time to decide. You have to decide. You have to discern what time it is. You have to know what time it is. It's time to settle up with God by surrendering your life completely to Christ. Take up your cross and follow Him. Forsake all and follow Him. That's what time it is. Okay, we have to discern this. What am I going to judge for myself? Jesus said, are you not going to judge what's right? Are you not going to choose the right thing? 
Verse 57, am I going to be discerning? Am I going to do the right thing? Am I going to surrender my life completely to Christ? Or am I not? The reality is my time is short. Okay, my soul could be required of me at any time. At any time. Christ is coming soon. He's been teaching us this all throughout chapter 12. Be ready. Be prepared. I could call my church home at any time. Man, it's time to decide. It really is. Don't delay. If you knew a tornado was coming, you'd prepare, wouldn't you? I would. If you knew you were going to get sued, you'd go get a lawyer. You'd be prepared. Why do we not prepare for eternity? Why do we not think about eternal things? Why do we not think past the grave? Why do we not realize that Christ could come at any moment? Man, I remember when I was first born again, probably less than a month old in the faith. I was reading through the scriptures and I come to that part that talked about the trumpet blowing, the dead in Christ rising. And in the middle of the night, I heard the storm siren go off in town and I turned around and looked out the window. I was like, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. The judge is standing at the door. That's James chapter 5, verse 9. But here's some good news for you. Praise the Lord. <coughs> there is one who is standing between me and the judge. Jesus Christ, the mediator. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Listen to what a mediator does. What does that mean? Christ mediating. It's one who intervenes between two people. I had a problem with God. He's holy. I wasn't. I'm a sinner. He's not. Sin cannot be in his presence. How do we fix that? We need a mediator. Christ intervened. Christ came in between me and that holy God. Amen. A mediator restores peace. It can bring peace to your heart. It can bring peace to your home. The mediator we have in Christ Jesus can bring peace between me and the Father. You see, we've seen where the holy wrath of the Father was placed, right? On Christ. I don't have to bear that because Christ took that for me. He restored that relationship that was broken, right? <coughs> he brought peace through the blood of his cross. A mediator is one who ratifies a covenant. Remember what Jesus told his disciples before he ascended. This is the blood of the what? New covenant. It's a new covenant in my name, right? Christ ratified a new covenant with his own blood. He paid the penalty for your sin and mine with his own blood. Thank you, Lord. And now he stands between us and a holy God saying, he's mine or she's mine. That person is covered in my righteousness. They've been covered in my blood. They're forgiven, right? Guys, we've got to decide whose side we're on. We're going to surrender our life to Christ. Are we going to keep faking it? Are we going to keep trying things on our own, hoping we don't die or the Lord don't come back? You're gambling. You're gambling. Get ready before the storm of judgment comes because it's coming. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
That's what Paul said. The truth is this. Christ says this. You must be born again. That's John chapter 3, verse 3. Okay? That's his proclamation. You must be born again. But the provision of Christ is also this. Jesus Christ died for you. That's John 3, 16. Right? And he's extended an offer. Some people say, well, there's no offer of salvation. I disagree. Christ extends this offer to every man, woman, boy, and girl when he says, come to me. You who are burdened, you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to me. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Guys, so the good news again, I'll say it. You don't have to go to hell. Thank you, Jesus. You do not have to go to hell. You do not have to be captivated by your sin for an eternity. You can become a believer in Jesus Christ. You can be made new. You can be born again. You can be in Christ, covered in His righteousness for all of eternity by grace through faith and find rest for your soul. Eternal rest. But the time is short and eternity is long. So we have to discern what time it is. It's time to decide. Father, we love you and we thank you for this message this morning. Thank you for the warning. Lord, you are so good to provide all of these truths to us in your word so that we can know what's coming and know how to prepare. And so my prayer is for everyone who hears this message, if they don't have a relationship with you, that that would change today. how it must have broken your heart to look over Jerusalem and and just ponder how long you've wanted to gather them under your wings like a hen does her chicks, but they were not willing. My prayer is that we would be willing and that if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you know that you're not born again, or maybe you're not even sure where you'll spend eternity. Nail that down today. Get that settled. Christ said, why wouldn't you do the right thing? Why wouldn't you do all that you can to settle this problem out of court before the day of judgment comes? Get it settled today. Today is the day of salvation. Come to Christ by faith. Turn from your sins. That just means to repent. Repent is turn away. Turn away from your sins. Trust in Christ alone by faith and he will save you. That's the promise of the word of God. You don't have to spend an eternity in hell. Christ paid the penalty for your sin for you so that you can be born again. You can be made new. Christ will be your mediator between you and a holy God. He will stand before you and with you on judgment day as one of his own you can become one of his own but you have to decide you have to take up your cross you have to lay down your life you have to simply receive the free gift of eternal life there's no work involved the work was done by Jesus Christ at his cross it's not a work to receive a free gift of salvation would you do that today Lord, for the rest of us, if we are believers, if we do have that relationship with you, I pray that this message would challenge us to make our decisions based on the soon coming 
of our Lord. Based on the fact that our life is but a vapor, as James says, it's here today, gone tomorrow. We're all headed to the grave, some of us sooner than others, and none of us know when, so I pray that we can be ready. I pray that we can live every moment for the glory of Christ. Help us to make life decisions, real life decisions within our family, our homes, our own personal life, our work. Help us to make all of those decisions in light of your return, in light of eternity. Help us to live today for that day. Would you help us to do that, Lord? We need your strength and your power to even be able to do that. So we pray for that. We ask for that. Help us to to discern the times. Help us to be prepared for that day when we stand before you in glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.